0: everybody welcome to another comic source comic boom collaboration this is your dc spotlight for november 1st 2022 hope everybody had a happy halloween bit of a smaller week of dc books um uh, batman centric again i suppose that's no uh big surprise you've got the regular batman book we have the long-awaited batman joker team up from mark syvestri we have uh joker man who stopped laughing we have Gotham City Year One. We have Sword of Azrael, uh, Poison Ivy. So yeah, definitely a, a Batman heavy week. But some some solid books. What do you think, Rob? Uh,
1: yeah, was wasn't a bad week. I'm glad uh, I'm glad it's a it's a smaller week. It's, it's nice to have a smaller week once in a while. I, I still manage, unfortunately, to, to not read one of the comics, and that was by, through my own. Um, uh foolishness because uh, I, I did have time to read it but uh in any event i do uh we are filming this when technically it is halloween and i am wearing my 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 black adam halloween shirt and with my black adam cap cap arrived just in time so i'm very happy so you know it's i got to wear this for the another stream yesterday so it's good so happy belated halloween to you my
0: friend did you dress up i did not uh but as you said it is halloween as we're recording this there's every chance somebody's going to knock at my door right behind me and (laughs) the dogs are going to go crazy uh looking for Holloway. i got a big stack a a big pile of candy and a big stack of comics to give uh, to give away if people come to the door so we'll see
1: that's good
0: uh that being said let's go ahead and dive in first book we're going to talk about big stick energy uh as opposed to that other word instead of stick uh part four monkey prince issue number eight from writer gene luen yang Bernard Chang does the art, Marcello Maiello on colors, Janice Chang on letters. Uh, this is as fun as Monkey Prince has been, um, but I will say if there's any negative I have, and I understand I'm, I'm really nitpicking here, I, I don't feel like Monkey Prince as a title has really been evolving. Um, you know, I know when I spoke to Gene last and had him on the show, he talked about the myth of monkey Prince and how much it's tied into uh, Chinese folklore and mythology, which is great. And that being the monkey King, and we got a hint a kind of a cliffhanger ending of the first arc of the monkey King and, and other hints of the monkey King showing up, but we're still waiting for him to show. So it's just a question of, of pacing. I wonder if it's working, but the irreverent feel of the book is still there. Um, the thing that Rocky picked up on even before I did, this whole idea of the monkey prince you know, coming to realize that his parents are basically mad supervillain scientists and, and keep getting jobs as henchmen for different supervillains uh, uh, and how that might affect his choice to be a hero or how it might affect how he sees his parents, like all that is is starting to pick up steam as well. So, uh, again, Marcus is an, an interesting character. He certainly has evolved. I just wonder if the story, if the character of Monkey Prince himself, is um, evolving f- fast enough. I, I'm I'm sort of ready to to take the next step to the next level, if you will. But uh, still a solid book, and the Bernard Chang art uh, and Marcelo Milo colors are fantastic. What do you think?
1: Uh, well, first I, I have to give a shout out to the uh, the, the I think it's the cover C. Uh, it has the thinker like that that famous uh, statue by Oh yeah. I, I can't remember the, the famous. He's a famous sculpture, but it I think it's Go,
0: isn't it Gogan?
1: Gogan, thank you. I think I think he's, I think that's correct. But with yep. Aquaman holding the head of Monkey Prince and he's sticking his tongue right at him, I think it's classic. I I want to get that just for the cover. I think it's perfect. That it totally embodies the Monkey Prince and it reminds me of the very first issue of this series where Monkey Prince at the end loses his head as he's battling Damien and Batman. So a, a, kind of a nice little. It's I th- I think it's a nice little callback to that, whether that was intentional or not. I, I actually, uh, I agree with you that, that there's, I have mixed feelings about this series so far, but there's no denying that it's a lot of fun. And I actually found myself enjoying this issue more than I have a number of the previous ones. We've got, we've got so much happening in this particular issue that a lot of it has to do with my own um, struggles to get a handle on Monkey Prince's mythology. But it is all there, but th- there is a lot of substance to his mythology, and I have to have a little bit probably more patience reading the various issues uh, there's in this issue he 's trying uh, Pigy or Shifu Pigsy, his sort of like pig looking mentor is trying to get him to meditate to uh, Ryu Jinghu Bang, who is going to some sort of powerful god who will give him more powers and uh, that 's essentially what he 's doing while he 's trying to battle Aquaman, and then they 're attacked by members of the trench. And ultimately at the end, you you get a mixture of all this, uh, uh, you know, it's, we got Aquaman and this sort of, and this also this dragon race that is uh, helping, fighting alongside Aquaman. They're fighting against the the, the trench. There's this new villain, uh, uh, there's King Silverhorn. And at the end of the issue, he's apparently been surpassed by this King Fireball. And I'm not, I'm sure all these various Kings are part of the, of the monkey prince mythology. I wish, I I wish that there was almost, I almost feel like there was a little bit of a, like uh, what, what Hickman does in his comics. At at the end of each of these comics, there was like a hierarchy of all these gods in the Monkey Prince mythology universe, almost. I'd like to be spoon-fed a little bit. It's not that I'm an idiot. It's not my first comic I've read, but I actually, this does seem like a universe that I could get lost and have a lot of fun in. And I uh, there I suspect, I suspect that if I was younger, I probably would have more patience, you know, so shame on me because I I am, there, there's a lot of fun to be had here and I want to tip my hat off to Gene uh, Lu Yang, Bernard Chang, on the art is does does a really good job, and um, Marcello Mielo on the colors. This there's a lot of fun to be have here, and um, and this issue does end with some mysterious forces breaking Marcus's parents who end up in prison <laughs> they end up it, somebody breaks them out of prison at the end of this issue and we don't know who it is so there's larger forces at play and next issue they're off to Metropolis where it's teased that the monkey prince will f- have a crush on Supergirl so I kind of like that this is a fun comic and you know when people are talking about you know we complain about you and I are like broken records looking for the hope in the DC universe and we're, we're, we're hoping that's around the corner there's a lot of fun to be had and usually a lot of, there's a lot of fun to be had with monkey prince oh sorry you're on mute there uh jace
0: yeah it's 100 percent true and the other thing is bernard chang we talked about this um and gene lewin yang we talked about this when gene was on the show how he's uh, you know monkey prince is basically taking a tour of the dc universe we're seeing how he fits in um and and that was always the plan um but I know it can sometimes feel like Monkey Prince maybe is being a little forced on us. I mean, we know, we've heard rumors of him playing a big role in the magic event that's coming up next year. So um, I think, again, just talking about the evolution of the character, I don't think he's, he's kind of where he needs to be yet in terms of even how he sees himself. You know, Marcus went from a, a very sort of, uh, what's the word? I, I mean, a kid that just wasn't very self-assured. You know, he had a, he, had, he was, he was kind of shy. He was kind of reserved. And, you know, his alter ego as a monkey princess sort of let him, uh, you know, break out of that shell, having this alter ego where he can say and do whatever. And he, and he does sometimes to very comedic effect. Um, you know, he says things maybe that he, he even shouldn't. So I, I think there's a balance that, that needs to happen. And I imagine that's the journey that this creative team is taking Marcus on. So it'll be interesting to see him. Uh, I mean, he's never not going to be wisecracking and he's n- probably never going to be uh, a character that doesn't kind of make mistakes due to his impetuousness, I think. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see him part of a larger uh, event like um, Lazarus Island and, and see how he fits in. So, yeah. uh, All right. Up next, we have Blood Syndicate Season 1, Number 6. This is the final issue. Run This Town. Uh, it's written by Jeffrey Thorne. Pencils are by Chris Cross. Inks by Juan Castro, Colors by Will Quintana, and Letters by Andrew Design. I have sort of mixed feelings about this. And man, it comes back to something I say all the time in terms of pacing is the hardest thing to get right in comics when you start out. And once again, here we have a DC creator whose idea is fantastic, but he maybe doesn't have quite enough room to execute it to uh, the idea's full potential so we know that uh inferno or holocaust rather has has um, taken over paris island he has basically burned all the other gang members (laughs) like literally burned them to death and has taken over the island he's told the american government stay out you know i run this island now and we have the members of the blood syndicate who a lot of them were former gang members who have decided to sort of fight for the side of angels but in a way they're you know, they just as flawed uh, as Holocaust, maybe not quite to that extent, but they have their own agenda and they have their own things that they're going for. So uh, that was kind of the setup. And so they do attack Holocaust and they, they try to create a plan. I mean, we know have to, they have some members that have been in the military. And so they try to create a plan to defeat Holocaust, sort of teaming up and using all their abilities together. And it goes horribly wrong and they're all killed. That's just how powerful Holocaust is. And for a little bit, it doesn't ring true, in my mind, because I just feel like they've made Holocaust too powerful here. I feel like they, sh- they should have had the ability to defeat Holocaust a little easier. Um, but be that as it may, for the purposes of the story, they're, they're all killed. But then we find out that one of the members of the team has the ability to, to kind of go back, to kind of travel back through time and warns the team before the, they first attack Holocaust and they, they take a different tack and they end up defeating him but it all feels very rushed it all feels a little bit ex deus machina like oh by the way we didn't tell you but this one character has these powers that you didn't know about and it 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 lessens the impact of their death and and even when the the when they die in the initial attack of holocaust even that feels so rushed You're not, i'm not even sure i'm like are they are they dead has it really gone that poorly like it just happens so quickly it's almost like Uh, And again, just a a matter of having enough real estate. It's almost like the first half of this battle should have been one issue and they could have left it with a cliffhanger of them kind of being completely defeated and Holocaust declaring victory. And then the following issue, they could have had them brought back uh, and attacking in a different way. I think that would have worked a lot better. But this ends up just feeling really rushed. And then at the end, uh, they basically don't sound that much different than Holocaust once they win – they sort of just say the same things that Holocaust was saying. This is our Island. Don't mess with us. Um, And when they're called out on that, they're like, yeah, but we're the good guys. Uh, So (laughs) there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. I mean, they are supposed to be heroes um, and I get it. They've got chips on their shoulder. You know, they're they're supposed to uh, represent minorities, people that have been sort of forgotten and kind of left alone. And so once they finally defeat, Holocaust and Icon and Rocket show up and, and they're like, okay, um, you know, Paris Island is free now. They're like, well, hold up. That doesn't just mean we're, you know, we're, we're open to whatever. We're going to allow ourselves to keep being exploited and manipulated and, and forgotten. Like we're in charge here now, you know, we want to have our own kind of self-determination. And I, and I get that. But again, it just, it feels... It rings a little hollow. It rings a, uh, a little bit of hypocrisy, as I said. So I, I have mixed feelings about the issue. The art by Crisscross Cross is, is fantastic. I, I think it's going to be hard for me to, to really judge this series until we get a second arc. Because really this first arc is just really the team coming together. And even when uh, Holocaust shows up at the end and the, the, uh, he's like, well, who are you guys? And they're like, we're the blood syndicate. That's what the leader says. And the rest of the team's like, wait, what did you call us? Like, they're not even, they're, they're not even really a full team yet. So I think the jury is still out on how well this is going to work. Um, but what is clear is that uh, the creative team, Jeffrey Thorne and, um, and Chris Cross on the arc, they're all, they're all in They're I mean, they're, they're putting their all into this uh, in this series. And um, you know, if it's a lack of execution, it's only, as I said, because, you're just, li- you're just so limited in what you can do. Uh, and I, I feel like that's especially the case with some of these milestone titles where they're drawing from things in the past. So it's almost like they might be a little bit in a rush to get through the origin story, to get to the, like the original stuff that they want to tell. That's not necessarily beholden to the past. That just might be my interpretation. Um, Cause this is enjoyable. It is good. But again, I think it would have worked better as uh, a two part two-part series so yeah uh, i look forward cool. to uh to hearing your thoughts on it rocky i know you didn't get a chance to read it so well
1: it's funny uh, i I've, I've sort of i've skim read it and i've read the parts that were uh as, as you've been reviewing it and I, I i really like the going back and i'm a sucker for that that motive that that's not the first time that that trick of being able of getting defeated it reminds me of that tom cruise movie where he kept he keeps dying and he keeps going yeah. back to try to I do, love it, that movie. do it yeah. right and so i love that as a plot element even though it might be a little tropey i'm a sucker for it i love it so i I, I'm really anxious to go back and read the details, but I, uh, I'm, I, I, I like this. I, I, you know, it's something like that. It, it, it's something where it would be fun to play that out. I can see that playing out for two or three issues, even because that does sound like a lot of fun. But at the same time, you know, kudos to uh, Jeffrey Thorne. He had six issues there, and there was a lot of story crammed in here for six issues. And he, he certainly, he didn't uh, insult the reader's intelligence. He, uh, in terms of dialogue, he had them speak their their native tongue where we, you know, a couple of white guys like you and I, at least for me, I know I struggled sometimes understanding the sort of the, the use of the language, but this was a lot of fun, uh, uh, at least the first five issues. And from what I can see in the first six, as you've described, I'm really anxious to read it <laughs> once we're done reviewing it, once, uh, once at the end of the night here. But uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Again, I'm just really curious what the second arc is going to going to bring, so... Uh, all right. Up next, we have Batman number 129, Failsafe Part 5 from writer Chip Zdarsky. Jorge Jimenez is the artist. maybe Moray on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Um, and before you get into talking about the, the book, uh, some great covers here. Uh, again, especially the Batman of Zur and R cover. It's probably my favorite one. I think it's a Francesco Francesco uh, Matina cover. But the other thing I wanted to call out is how the credits are incorporated into Kind of the cornice of a building, um, a la uh, Will Eisner, how he used to incorporate the uh, the credits into the, the the art. I love it when uh, artists do that. So, anyway, what were your thoughts on this? I, I'm really enjoying
1: this. This is just a a, a fantastic adren- adrenaline rush. This is, uh, I mean, Batman is this, Batman barely escaped failsafe last issue, and yet he ends up seeking sanctuary uh, and. At atlantis and and in this issue it's just failsafe essentially f- figuring out tr failsafe locking down Gotham City, taking over Oracle taking over Gotham City but uh unfortunately we've discovered as Batman narrates the issue na- Batman from atlantis is con- is is realizing uh, that failsafe is a great is great at potentially tracking him down to to kill him, and while Failsafe is not killing any heroes, what Failsafe is doing is that Failsafe is ignoring the people of Gotham. Failsafe isn't protecting the people of Gotham. It's it's very, very interesting here, the way this is uh, sort of scripted here. It would appear that Batman, when he was younger, as his uh, alternate self, the Batman of Zurinah he He created failsafe as a failsafe in the event that he ever crosses the line and kills somebody. and it's revealed here that. Alfred was the one that was supposed to essentially reprogram him, or essentially shut failsafe off. And and Alfred knew the codes, but of course, Alfred's dead. Alfred's no longer around. And it's it's interesting that failsafe is is very powerful and it can take out the Justice League and 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 incapacitate. They say I think like eighty three percent of the world's heroes try to break into trying to get into Gotham to help, but failsafe is blocking it off from the rest of the world. Seventeen percent of the heroes haven't even tried because they're doing their own thing. Meanwhile. Failsafe is narrowed down the fact that Batman is is in Atlantis, so he's expecting Batman is expecting an attack from Failsafe, which of course comes, and it ends up with this big battle uh, that moves all the way from Atlantis to the Justice League satellite, and it's just back and forth, back and forth between Failsafe outwitting Batman, Batman outwitting Failsafe, and it's really Batman in battle with themselves. Couple of potential little critics uh, uh criticisms here. Constructive criticisms and maybe I'm being too harsh, but uh one thing that didn't quite that I'm I'm a little bit uncomfortable with is the the idea that Batman as batman of Zoranah, creates failsafe. Failsafe is good at getting rid of a Batman who kills, but he wouldn't program failsafe to protect the people of Gotham City. I found that really odd. But I guess maybe the Batman of, of Zurina maybe Maybe I'm forgetting that aspect of Grant Morrison's storyline there. Did the Batman of Zunara not protect the people of Gotham? I'm surprised that the uh, psychological side of Batman that of Batman of Zunara, who created Failsafe, would not program him to protect the people of Gotham. Because it's quite clear here that Failsafe doesn't care about the people of Gotham being harmed at all. He's not protecting them. But yet... He'll, he's zealously going after Batman. So that the, the programming is surprisingly one-dimensional. And for a programming that was even oversaw uh, and even uh, there was oversight by Alfred himself, I'm surprised at that I find that somewhat hard to believe. I also find it hard to believe, and again, maybe being just overly critical here, I find it a little bit odd that Failsafe is this good. Uh, the Batman of Zurina, and you can correct me, Jace, or people in the chat can correct me, I thought that Batman of Zoranab, Failsafe was corrected when Batman was still young, still young and inexperienced and obsessed and still in his days where he was plotting to uh, overcome the Justice League in the event they go rogue, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the Tower of Babel storyline and all that jazz. I just find it really hard to believe that if 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 Batman created Failsafe, if I had a failsafe that Batman created during Batman year one versus Batman at year 10, I'm pretty sure the Batman of year 10 failsafe would defeat the i'm I'm sure Batman year ten should be able to defeat failsafe of Batman year one, and I'm not seeing that yet so far, even at the end of this issue, it seems to me as if failsafe is really kind of making a, a mockery out of Batman here and um you know is it, i just find that interesting and uh, at some point I'm sure the the at some point the experience that Batman has gained since creating failsafe as Batman of Zorna. Surely that must come into play at some point. It hasn't come into play yet. I'm not really complaining. It's a nitpick, because I think it's gonna come into play later. But the action here is fantastic. The art by Jorge Jimenez is, is absolutely fantastic. I'm loving this. It's an adrenaline rush. It's go, go, go. I got to the end and I was anxious. I didn't want this to end. And the you know, with Batman ending up in space, uh trying to get back to Earth, just the satellite, you know, he he manages to pull a trick from Superman 2, you know, with teleporting failsafe away from the satellite you know while he was trapped you know tricking managed to trick failsafe to get you know he's safely inside the teleporter while everything teleports around him as opposed to batman within the justice league satellite i thought that was inspired even if it was ripped off from richard donner uh i thought it was a lot of fun and uh i think chip Sardowski's done a great job and uh, again Yemen is on the art is really good so uh what
0: do you think yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I thought of th- Superman too as well. Oh, you made the lights go on out here while you were safe in there. Yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> um, here's here's the thing. Like, I'm not. I'm a big Zadarski fan. Like, I, I didn't used to be. I'd read his Howard the Duck stuff. I'd read Sex Criminals. It didn't really do it for me. Um, in fact, I think you and Trevor from Dark Knight Nation and I were, were on a podcast one time, and I was saying, "Yeah, just I'm not seeing it." And then I read his Daredevil stuff. Uh, I read his Spider-Man life story, which I didn't necessarily like, but I, I, I could see how much emotion that he put into things. And Stillwater is great. And so when I heard he was going to be on Batman, I was excited. His Batman story about Bruce going around and training the night was very, very good. Uh, but this one was has been a little bit paint-by-numbers for me. You know, right away, as soon as Failsafe showed up, I knew exactly, you know, it was easy to guess, okay, this is something that Batman himself created to defeat himself if he ever goes rogue. It was just... It was so telegraphed, and so while the I can't say anything about the the structure of it itself um, being bad. It's very it's very a very good technical comic. Um, the pacing is good, the dialogue and everything. Uh, the story itself, it's just while you're right in that the, the action is compelling and I want to know what happens next. It doesn't feel original. It feels. A little bit derivative to me, um, and you know I've I've talked before about okay so he he the the failsafe had it used some kryptonite it stabbed Superman or whatever but months have gone by I talked about last time last issue the big time jump you're really telling me nobody can figure out how to defeat this thing Superman can't fly up above Gotham in orbit and just destroy this thing with his heat vision like there's a little bit of
1: yeah
0: <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of a, kind of a leap in faith that we're supposed to take. Um, and, I, and I understand reading comics in general is just kind of a suspension of disbelief, but this is kind of pushing it. So set all that aside and just read this for what it is, then, yeah, I think it can can work. Um, and to your point, and maybe this goes back to an issue of space, but, uh, you know, room in the comic to, to tell more of it, um, mm-hmm. because you're right, Batman does – it does seem like Failsafe is one step ahead of Batman the entire time, but then he does manage to teleport out. He does manage to do something that – fail safe is not expecting so yeah the, it might come into play that failsafe isn't uh doesn't know batman as well because of the experience that he's that he's had but you would think if as you said if this uh con- construct of failsafe was created so long ago that and batman's had so many experiences in between and a lot of these other heroes have, and you know powers and and aren't there new, can they send Naomi after failsafe? Like, does failsafe? You know what I mean? Like Naomi wasn't around. She's finally useful. But, right? Exactly. But but the the other part of it, you know, if I want to you know try to win my no prize or whatever, what I could say is, well, failsafe was stored in the Batcave. Would it not be tied into the Bat computer? And as Batman is entering new information and new files or whatever, that. Yeah. The intelligence, the knowledge of failsafe kept getting updated as well. So maybe it's not 10 Possibly. years behind in experience. Yeah. If, again, if I'm trying to help Siddarsky out, if I'm trying sure. to win my, yeah. I guess we'll call it a a, a zo Prize yeah. for Siddarsky. For That's Zdarsky our headcanon. We're, we're trying
1: yeah. to justify that. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. I, I sort of, and again, I don't want to say that this isn't good. I don't want to say Zdarsky's not doing a, a great job, but if you go and you read, and I love the Charles Soule run of Daredevil. Everybody that listens to the podcast for a long time knows that. But what Zdarsky's done with Daredevil has been so interesting because it's not like he's doing wholly new ideas. I mean, he put Matt Murdoch in jail, just like we've seen, you know, previous. Uh, car- time, uh, writers do like Mark Wade and and uh, Brian Michael Bendis and whatnot. but he's doing it in, in a way that feels fresh that feels new that feels emotional I'm waiting for Zdarsky's Batman run to get to get to that point right and even though this is you know again sort of a paint by numbers it doesn't necessarily have that fresh feel that I'm looking for yet I mean this is just the first arc um, and it does have fantastic art as you mentioned by Jorge Jimenez so I guess I'm having mixed feelings about it. Um, I am enjoying it more than the James Tynan run Um, just because it felt like all James Tynan did was give us the Joker war and then the aftermath. And again, I was looking for something a little more. We all know how I feel about the Joker. So yeah, it's uh, this is definitely a, a different take and it's nice to see Batman, you know, push to his limits but then the other thing that we worry about, obviously, is the the power creep, as we've talked about. You know, are, are we just pushing Batman to become even more and more powerful, giving him these like world-beating threats uh, to overcome? So, uh, anyway, I think it's solid. I think it's it's worth reading, and I'm I'm very curious how Batman is going to ultimately defeat um, defeat failsafe. Now, the backup, I am pe- I am Gun Part Two. Also written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Leonardo Romero, colors by Jordi Billard, letters by Clayton Cowles. Um, I'm not really feeling this. Uh, it's not, I, again, maybe it's because it's too wrapped up in the Joker. Um, I, I just I, I just don't understand the point of it. Uh, once again, I'll just say, you know, can we just get rid of the backup and charge me a dollar less because it's, it, it feels like. Honestly, a waste of, of space and money. Um, to be honest, I it just it's not doing anything for me. It didn't care for the art style of Romero. Um, it's very uh, Francesco Francavilla in a way, but um, without the strong storytelling that Francavilla has. It's, it's very choppy in its storytelling, so I'm just not a fan. Uh, anything to add about the backup? Uh,
1: not really. I've uh, I I don't really uh, I don't I. It, it just seems though I'm not sure how it really adds to my understanding of this story, but the thing is, the reason why I'm, the reason why maybe I'm wrong about this is Sardaski is like, I'm wondering if, is, is the backup story somehow going to link into the actual main story? Cause I really don't feel it's done that so far because in this story, it just shows Batman in his younger years is with the Batman of Zoranar taking over his consciousness, taking, taking over his body to fight the Joker. And, Telling the Joker that the Joker's gonna die, and I just you know that's I mean it's still cool and I actually like the artistic style that this, our style is actually right up my alley. Leonardo Romero, I, I really do like his art. I'm just not really sure how that links into the main story, and maybe it maybe it doesn't. But I this this the main story is so good. When the story Sardaski is his own worst enemy here, and I mean that probably has an overhanded compliment or an underhand or whatever the phrase is. Because I like the main story so much that I really don't want a backup. <laughs> I'd rather have more of the main story with more action and more of that Gemini's art, but then, than this. But uh, you know, I mean, I want to. I do want to give a shout out to uh, Leonardo Romero. I do like the art, Jordi Blair and the colors. I mean, the creative team is is pretty good. I just, again, I agree with you. I'm not really, I'm not really feeling it. I'm still feeling the excitement from the main storyline.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the backup story. The only th- use of it. Uh, or how it ties in is just, yeah, Batman had mental health issues at one point and that led to the creation of Batman of R. which (laughs) again, it's like, we we just had the story Batman the Knight, right? Where if anything, what it showed was Bruce's strongest power or if he has any kind of superpower, it's that indomitable will, right? The, 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 I will never give up. I will never cease my war on crime. I mean, if there's anything that, that Batman doesn't have is its mental weakness. Not to say that you can't call dressing up like a bat and choosing to fight crime mental illness in, in and of itself, but for him to have like a, a mental breakdown and, and need to take time off from being Batman, I mean, I don't know. It just it doesn't ring true in my mind. So,
1: well, not only anyway. that, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that every time there's a major storyline with Batman having a mental breakdown, that he he's always super genius when he's psychotic like look at the batman who laughs yeah. you know what i mean yeah. it, whenever batman psy- loses his mind he's always he's he's even more smarter than he is when he's bruce wayne <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of hilarious in a way
0: Yep, 100 uh all right let's move on next up we have uh gotham city year one issue number two written by tom king pencils are by phil hester inks by eric gapster colors by Jordy belair letters by clayton cowles starring Slam Bradley, going back to, to Bruce's grandparents and their uh, granddaughter being kidnapped. We don't really know who's behind it, but this is a Gotham City that's much more innocent. Uh, We're reminded here through through context about how Gotham City at this point is even safer than Metropolis. So uh, this really is the origin of Gotham City. It's when Gotham City kind of went off the rails and became you know a seedier sort of uh, crime-ridden city that eventually gives rise to to Batman. So in in a way it's kind of the, the um, origin of the origin of Batman in in some way. Now I I mentioned last time that I'm not always the biggest fan of Phil Hester's style of art, uh, especially when it comes to superhero books, I feel like he should stick to crime noir or slice of life. Well, this very much is crime noir.
1: Yes. Um, Definitely. And
0: I, I said when I, I talked about maybe not being the biggest Phil Hester fan in terms of his aesthetic that, by the time I got to the end of the series, I probably would be like, "Well, this is Phil Hester's book. I don't think anybody else can draw it, but him. Um, it, I, I can't picture it. This the story being told visually by anybody else but him." And I figured that would happen. You know, by the time we got to the end of issue, where well, here we are with issue two, and it's already happened. Uh, this art is perfect. It suits the 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 impending sort of cynicism of Gotham. The, the sort of slide that Gotham takes down into, you know, uh, a more despair-filled city in a way, Uh, a a city that's gray, you know, as opposed to bright and colorful and happy, Um, a a city that's more dreary and dirty. Uh, I don't know what that says about my love of Phil Hester's art or or the way I perceive uh, Phil Hester's art, but... Yeah. Um, I got like halfway through this and I was like, yeah, I don't want anyone else to draw this. The angular, he style, the angular style he uses, especially in faces works perfectly for the story, especially Sam Bradley, as he's trying to, to rescue this baby as he's kind of taking all this punishment. He's got bandages on his face. Half of the, the issue for all the punishment that he's taken. Um, and Phil Hester's style of art suits it, uh, just perfectly. So, Uh, I'll let Rocky talk a little bit more about the the story beats and and the plot itself, but um, I've never, I don't can't recall ever having read a story that had Slam Bradley in it, but this story is quickly making me a fan of, of Slam Bradley. Um, And the character work from Tom King is, is very interesting, especially in terms of the Waynes, Um, Richard Wayne, Constance, uh, they're very strong outwardly, you know. They're basically, for lack of a better term, they are they are the king and queen of Gotham. Everybody looks up to them, and I'm sure thinks that their life is just great because they're rich and they have power and influence and all that. But but their dynamic, their relationship, isn't even all that it seems. Um, it, it seems dysfunctional at times. Um, and I, it, I don't know. They're just they're really complex, and there's a lot you know, kind of more than meets the eye to them. So. I was a big fan of, of, of this issue. Uh, I mean, I liked the first issue. I liked where the story was going, but the character work here and the art just elevated the second issue for me, uh, tremendously. And I cannot wait to see where this goes. Uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, first of all comment, you started talking about the art, uh, the first half of this issue, the art is just, I think surpasses the second half and of course it's apples and oranges, but I don't, I wish I, I failed to possess the adequate uh, way to, uh, I uh, I think I gotta reread uh, Scott McCloud's uh, "Making Comics" or, or whatever it is. I, I sometimes I lack the language upon which to adequately describe this beautiful art. But I love on some of these pages how Slam Bradley sort of just pops off the page, and he's he he's overwhelming. He takes so you know you got multiple panels, but Sam Slam Bradley's presence takes you know takes the overshadows three of the panels, and the way they it, it just it just it just cries out that I mean he's the central figure and he's the embodiment of, of Gotham City and and one of the things that really really hammers home here that uh, that is magnified by Phil Hester's art which is so uh, tragic is this is the beginning of Gotham City becoming a crime ridden basically shithole because one of the things that's rammed for, uh home here is that when Slam Bradley is being interrogated, he's being interrogated because as a his his partner has been was killed at the end of last issue because his partner went to follow the young woman Sue, who gave him the note that he ended up taking to the Waynes that that contained the ransom letter saying you know we've taken your taken your daughter Helen Helen Wayne this is about this is a Helen Wayne kidnapping and what's so interesting here is that Gotham City has a very low crime rate it's it's only had 6 people murdered in the last year compared to Metropolis that had 73 this is a Gotham City in the 1940s that actually has a very low crime rate and so and they brag about that and the commissioner takes pride in this fact and Slam Bradley, this is this is sort of like it's almost like the golden age of Gotham before it became more corrupt. And an older Slam Bradley, we have to remember, is narrating this tale, and we know that he's talking to modern day Batman, essentially telling Batman that this was Gotham before it fell, and that the end of this story is going to hearken in and be a harbinger of a darker Gotham that will follow, that will require a Batman to do battle against the high crime rate because it's so hilarious to hear that there was a time when Gotham City had a lower crime rate than Metropolis. Are you kidding me? (laughs) So that's interesting. But meanwhile, the story gets very interesting too because this Sioux woman comes back into the picture and as, as Richard and Constance are... Uh, dealing with Slam. Slam gets these, he he ultimately, uh, when he's, the interrogation of him is finished by the the Gotham City police. They let him go because they got no evidence that he killed his own partner. And of course, why would he? Uh, Even though it appears that his partner was killed with his own gun, they let him go. They don't really don't have any evidence against him. Uh, The reality, it looks as if this Sioux person is sort of like the Catwoman in this time period. And she has something to do with sort of setting him up uh, to try to, you know, have Richard and Constance pay a ransom of a hundred thousand dollars, but there's something else at play here because Slam Bradley can see through it. It ends up that they, where they, uh, this, the person who is giving Slam Bradley the notes to take to the Waynes basically says, come to this particular spot on the top of finger tower, as a reference to bill finger, one of the co-creators of Batman, come to the top of finger power and bring a hundred thousand dollars with you. And we'll give you the note telling you where your daughter is. Well, it's all. It's all basically a setup. Uh, the, the the daughter's not there, but this Sue is there to take the money, and uh, and it seems as if this Sue is sort of like a like a catwoman. She's a thief, and maybe she's part of this setup. But clearly, somebody else is. There might be other forces behind the scenes here. She and there's there's so many moving parts here that you know is is the real person behind it all this Sue character who's sort of like the quasi Catwoman, or is there a larger more powerful person at play i get a sense that there is but we don't know who it is yet and uh and in any event it, it, this is all sort of this is all brought to a head through the incredible art of phil hester and you really get a sense here that that this is a gotham that is losing its innocence and it's losing its innocence through not only this this story as it plays out with this with the, the hints of a batman, because all the, the ransom notes are signed by the bat hyphen man, and even now the, the appearance of a Sioux who's like a cat woman and uh the just the and the hints of, of corruption in the Gotham City Police Department. This is Gotham on the cusp of becoming the dark Gotham, gritty Gotham that we know uh is gonna harbor in the future uh The future of the real Batman. And for a second issue into the first, this was this was a really good continuation of the story. Because I gotta tell you at the beginning in the first issue here, I was openly wondering to what extent is Tom King gonna pull all the plot threads from the Lindbergh kidnapping. Because this was you could obviously this was inspired by the Lindbergh kidnapping in the nineteen twenties. But this doesn't feel like the Lindbergh kidnapping anymore. It, it it probably might steal some some real life plot points from that but it feels like a story unique into itself and that's a compliment to tom king and i know some people give him a hard time that he maybe takes things from other narratives and real life narratives too much but i think it works here and this feels like its own unique story so yeah good good comic
0: yeah and they definitely as you said they they take slam badly they interrogate him and they let him go but It needs to be said, not before they beat the living shit out of them. (laughs) Uh, And whoever this uh, police commissioner, current police commissioner is of Gotham in in this timeline, there's a reason Gotham has less crime than Metropolis and has everything to do with his Gestapo tactics. So, you know, you can, you can take that for what you will, whether that's better or worse than Gotham now, but it all goes back to that thing about freedom or security. You know, the more security you want, the more, um, You want to be protected from crime and um, uh, chaos and, you know, evil deeds, the less freedom you have and the more freedom you have, you know, unfortunately, there's going to be people that take advantage of that and um, don't want to operate within the confines of the law. So definitely a stark reminder of that from Tom King. So. Uh, All right. Up next, we have Dark Knights of Steel, number eight. I can't believe we're only on number eight from this series because it feels like it's been coming out forever, but it's because we've had other one-shots and tie-ins and whatnot. So War of the Three Kingdoms, written by Tom Taylor. Art is by Yasmin Putri. Colors are by Arif Prianto, and letters are by Wes Abbott. And we get our first look at the Green Man, who uh, definitely seems like a mashup between – looks almost like Batman's – costume in a way but it's clearly the joker yet he has a green lantern ring so definitely a mashup of a bunch of different characters Uh, but there's a lot that goes down um, in this issue and it feels like we're getting toward the end game what'd you think of this
1: i i love this this is (laughs) i guess i sound like a broken record i'm pretty sure i started off saying i love this with every issue of dark knights of steel this one really ramped it up i know that this is This is typical Tom Taylor in the good way, in terms of this is injustice, where injustice always threw you a loop. With every issue of injustice, you were just waiting for a new curveball of some kind. uh, And you never knew. Everybody was on the, everybody was at stake in terms of who could be removed off the playing field, be taken out of the narrative at any time. And boy, do we get that here in spades. And all the, the plots that in the previous seven issues, the plots have been coming together. We know that uh, uh, Kalal, Prince Kalal, has been taken captive. We know that there's a person going around who has impersonated Supergirl Kara and has killed uh, the King of Storms, uh, Jefferson Pierce. We know that Queen Ani- uh, Anissa, the of uh, Thunder and Lightning, Jefferson Pierce's daughter, is now Queen Anissa. She's now Queen of the Kingdom of Storms. And she's teaming up with uh she's now teaming up with Hippolyta of the Amazons to approach the Elves because the Elves have believed are the ones to have killed uh King Pierce, I guess. Meanwhile, it the Green Man or Oliver Queen was the one who took out uh took out and killed uh King El, uh Jorel. And we have this mysterious green man who I think it's very interesting, you know, who was this green man? He's a. We thought maybe he was Lex Luthor, but he's, he, he's kind of like a cross between Lex Luthor and the Joker and Green Lantern. One of the things to notice about the green man, and it's fairly obvious, thanks to the great lettering, let's give a shout out to a letterer for the time, uh, to Wes Abbott on the lettering. Uh, it's clear that the ring is talking to him. Now, I'm not sure, is the ring talking to the green man? Because the green man is talking to the ring. Or is somebody communicating to the green man through the ring? So is the ring talking to him? Or is he talking to someone in the ring? I don't know. But that's kind of curious. If it's not the ring talking to the green man, then who's on the other end? Is it Martian Manhunter? Is it somebody else? I, you know, I know that Martian Manhunter, I think, is the primary suspect. But somebody is controlling this uh, ring or speaking through the ring to the to this Joker-like Green Man character, and they want to cre- clearly somebody wants to ferment a war between the kingdoms, between the Amazons, between the Elves, between the Kingdom of Storms, and. It's all everything's building to a head. In the meantime, we've got Oliver Queen freeing uh Dinah Lance, who are prisoners. The elves have got a bunch of metahumans prisoners. And obviously they got Oliver Queen prisoner because he killed uh he killed uh King Jor- Jor- Jorel. And uh Dinah Lance is a prisoner for crimes of which we're unaware of, but she's got that sonic scream. And he teaches her to obviously aim her her sonic blast. So that's interesting. And uh, there's a wonderful scene where Amanda Waller and Harley Quinn approach uh, as emissaries approach Hippolyta and Queen Anissa as they're approaching the Kingdom of El uh, to basically hopefully sue for some kind of peace. And boy, oh boy, does that go caught kind of catastrophically awry? Poison Ivy ends up, uh, uh, you know, uh, Constantine. Defies Queen Hippolyta and says, You can't let Amanda Waller and Harley Quinn just walk away. He tries to take them out. They're saved by Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy then's taken out by the green man. And then lo and behold, who shows up but Queen Laura herself. And um wow, uh, I gotta tell you, that that is a hell of a scene. The, the last the last few images, the last few pages here where um Queen Laura Makes her appearance. You could just feel the the ground shaking. I mean, just fantastic art by uh, Yasmin Putri. Just a, it's just it feels visceral. It feels action packed. It this feels like it's in the setting that it's in. And this does feel like a medieval superhero DC tale. That's what I like about it. And it's defined by by Putri's art and what what happens in that scene where what Queen. I don't even want to, almost don't want to ruin it for people, but oh, what a graphic scene! And right in front of her daughter, the fate of Queen Hippolyta uh, here—you know that it's uh, it's a hell of a way to end an issue. And I think this definitely, in my view, has my vote for final page of the week. I mean, I I always remember Jeff Johns as a master at the final at the final page reveal in terms of the cliffhanger, but this is who. After this final page, man, I, I so desperately want to read the next issue. <laughs> but I really enjoyed this. I just had a shit-eating grin on my face. What? How would you find it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of anything to say beyond that <laughs> image that's there on the screen. I mean, <laughs> Laura just – I mean, slices a and literally slices apollo in half, you know, right in front of, of Diana. Diana's there yelling, mother! Um you know, so so many times over the years, right, we've had stories of Jor-El coming to visit Cal, you know, whether it's uh, – he was plucked from the moment of Krypton's destruction or some kind of imaginary tale or, or what have you. We have so much more of a sense of who Jor-El is and certainly back in the Silver Age, he was kind of the square-jawed, straight-laced, you know um, – father figure for lack of a a better term right like um ward cleaver in in a uh, a superhero outfit basically in a kryptonian outfit um and then most recently with brian michael bendis it's been you know maybe a a more of a a machiavellian type character where he's been pulling strings and maybe he's involved in some things that, that perhaps helped lead to the destruction of krypton and you know, it wasn't all cut and dry. We very rarely have gotten characterization from Laura beyond just a, a mother figure who is just, her characterization is just, oh, she's just sad. She's just sad because Krypton's exploding and she has to send her son away. So it's not like this characterization of Laura rings untrue. But at the end of the day she's still Superman's mother and so you by association you kind of think well she'd never do something like that but the reality is yeah. we don't have any idea what Laura is capable of and certainly she feels if if she know. feels <laughs> yeah if she feels that Hippolyta is complicit in the murder of her husband why wouldn't she take the chance for revenge right so yeah absolutely no idea where this is gonna go from here um. Tom Taylor certainly has a way with cliffhangers and with big moments. And I can't imagine that there's not going to be a lot of people talking about this on social media. And certainly um, not just the last page of the week, but certainly a candidate for, you know, moment of the year, I guess we'll see how it all plays out.
1: Certainly. Uh,
0: All right. Up next, we have poison Ivy. Number six. This is written by G Willow Wilson, Brian level on pencils and inks. Eric Prianto does the colors. Hassan, Atzman Elhau on letters. Uh, And we also have uh, Marcio Takara uh, on the art for pages 14 through 22 with inks for those by Jay Leistein. Um, For some reason, I thought that this was a six-issue mini, but the way it ended, I was like, well, that doesn't necessarily feel like an ending. And you go to the last page and it says, next, a new chapter begins. So I went and looked. Yeah, sure enough, there's an issue seven, Solicited, but this is definitely the end of the first arc. I won't go so far as to say that it redeems Poison Ivy, um, but it does kind of explain why she was going around killing people (laughs) the way that she was. Uh, Rocky and I both talked about it from the first issue, how it seems like she's gone not even back to her villainous ways, but but the pendulum has swung way over that she's more brutal and, and more violent than she ever has been. That's sort of explained here. Um, and then in an effort to, uh, to keep herself alive. Uh, and this all stems from what we've seen in recent Batman issues and Harley and whatnot where, and also going back to um, heroes in crisis where poison Ivy was basically killed and then um, resurrected, but in kind of separate as a human form and as a plant form. And then recently we saw those uh, two, two different sides come back together um, but maybe not in a cohesive way that allowed her to sort of live the life that she's lived earlier. And so she's kind of being poisoned by these, um, these spores, these, uh, these fungi. And she had decided, and I'm giving just a huge overview. She had decided that, you know, if if she's going to die anyway, that she's going to make sure the earth is safe. And so she was going to spread this sort of disease, this fungal disease that she was carrying to, to all of mankind Mankind would die out and the natural earth would then heal. Um, and she realizes in this issue that, that part of why she was feeling that way was some manipulation from the Floronic man, Jason Woodrow. Um, and it wasn't all her, so it's a little bit of a way out uh, in a way. But what's interesting is when she realizes that and actually defeats Woodrow, uh, and even she admits, well, he's defeated for now, but you know, even though we see him die, I'm sh- sure he's going to come back in some way, shape or form because he is so tied into uh, nature and the natural world. Um, But the way she heals herself is that she, (laughs) she eats the Floronic man's um, body. Uh, You know, and again, it's a plant like body and and what have you, but by eating that, you know, his powers to regenerate and, uh, and heal from really catastrophic wounds are are sort of passed on, passed on to her. So we know she's not going to die now, um, she does still want to make a difference and and she's back to being a little more on the, the side of angels, I'll say, um, but it seems like she wants to still fight what she considers evil. So, you know, think of people that are polluting the planet, um, you know, big oil and, uh, and that sort of thing. So um, it, I, I did appreciate that G. Willow Wilson brought Harley in at the end uh, or what? Pamela believes is the end of her life. um, uh, Kind of reinforcing that, that relationship that many people um, really enjoy. Uh, And it's not that I don't enjoy it. I think they make a good couple. I'm not a big Harley or Ivy fan. So it it doesn't, if they were to be split up, it wouldn't make any difference to me. Do they work together as a couple? Yeah, hundred percent they do. Um, And so I do appreciate that it's being, um, that's being reinforced here by, uh, by Wilson and uh, if there's anything I would have liked in this issue, uh, we saw last issue as uh, Poison Ivy was closer to death and was thinking about her decisions and the choices that she's made. She was sort of hallucinating the Batman as being kind of her moral compass. Uh, we get just a little tiniest bit of that here. I like that dynamic. I like that aspect of the story. So um, I hope that we haven't seen the last of it because I think it works really, really well. Uh, And the last thing I'll say is, as we have had throughout the series, gorgeous covers, um, especially the Jenny Frisson cover, I think for me, is the one that really stands out head and shoulders. Love the hair, love the coloring, um, both of Ivy's skin and her her fingernails and her lips and makeup and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, curious to see where it goes from here now that we have uh, an Ivy who's a little less evil and maybe a little more familiar uh, to anybody who's read – stories of her in the last four or five years what'd you think
1: uh yeah well just to add a couple of things uh harley or, or pardon me poison ivy appears to after eating the floronic man which uh, by the way I, I i guess i was a little bit more shocked than you i mean she ate the floronic
0: man <laughs> I mean, gonna, yeah but he's, I mean, he's she he ate him i mean I, yeah i <laughs> know don't get me wrong i was like Ugh, that's nasty but then i reminded I mean, myself well
1: well, but he's not flesh and bone. He's, no, no, I know that. But I do find it kind like, of funny he, that she's a she's, she's got a PhD and she's got a PhD in chemistry, and she figures that the best way to you know get some chemicals yeah. in the body is to eat the pheromone yeah. man. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's I'm having fun with it. But um, apparently, she not only is healed from the lamia spores and her her sort of like her darker impulses were maybe kept, you know, I guess were ameliorated because of that. But now apparently there were, when a child approaches her, she can, when she looks at people now, when she looks not only at children, but I'm I'm inferring that when she looks at all life now, she can see what she referred to as the ecosystem of symbiotic bacteria. She could see the ecosystem of symbiotic bacteria all over the child. In other others all of us are a universe unto ourselves it's sort of like the bed mites you have in the bed and you don't even realize they're there you know all we are all we are all a universe unto ourselves our bodies are made up of all kinds of things and we have homeostasis and and pamela isley this is what i find ironic about this i was a little bit confused by the ending here not that it's rocket science she ends with her she she kind of doubles down on her resentment toward humanity destroying the planet and But she doubles down on her love for Harley. She says at the end, Harley, I love you and only you. Yet she very, very clearly talked about protecting what is precious. She very clearly showed uh, some degree of kindness and compassion to the child. So it's not really true. It's almost, it's interesting that Ivy herself becomes an unreliable narrator. She seems to speak very ill will of certain aspects of humanity hurting the planet. And yet the fact is she's quite capable of loving her fellow human being, not just Harley Quinn. And that's what I took out of it. And I kind of like that subtlety there that Poison Ivy is capable of more love, I think, than Ivy herself gives her credit for. And I credit that to the writing of J. Willow Wilson. So... I, I actually enjoy this issue because of that, and you're right. This feels like the end of a six issue miniseries. I, I didn't, I didn't realize there's going to be another issue coming out.
0: Yeah, I mean, her, and I guess it could have ended like that, but it just seemed like okay. She's got these newfound powers, and you know, her power level has fluctuated over, uh, various times over the last five years. What does she have now that she's consumed the Floronic Man, and she no longer has the Lamia spores, as you mentioned? Um, and yeah, just the way that she, the way, the dialogue is, the scripting is at the end of the issue. I was like, well, yeah, it definitely seems like there's more to come. And then I noticed that, yeah, next, a uh, whole new era. I'm like, wait, next, ne- next, <laughs> as in next miniseries? Or, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a there's a seven and eight solicited. So I guess we'll see. Uh, all right, up next we have sort of Azrael number four. This is the end of <laughs> this mini series. Written by Dan Waters. Art is by Nicholas Simegia. Colors by Marisa Louise. Letters by Hatsan Atman, Elhow. I um, have no idea where uh, where this goes from here. Actually, I take that back. This is a six-issue mini, not a four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are two issues left. It says right there on the cover, four of six. Um, but this could it could have ended here, but I'm glad it, it doesn't because there's something going on with Azrael that is so different than what I expected. From Dan Waters but uh give us your thoughts on it first before I get into that uh
1: well uh I had my initial review of this comic was going to be very harsh because uh, I read it twice and I didn't understand what the hell was going on and then I got pissed off at myself because I said how can I not understand what's going on so I read it a third time and then all of a sudden it started to come together and um I don't know, uh, It's uh, I'm trying to bring up the pictures here, it's uh, taken a long time for whatever reason, but in any event, this is, what we do is that we get the history, we get the history of, of, I guess a new history, a new origin for Ezrael. at least it's new to me, and that is that St. Dumas, We it, it takes place in the past, we're showed excerpts of the past where the original St. Dumas actually ends up ends up um, battling or or finding a, um, what he calls a, uh, an angel maker box, some alien tech in a volcano. Like 800 years ago, the original Saint Dumas retrieved an uh, an angel maker box in a volcano. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently, it's this angel maker box, which it, it unleashes power and knowledge. And... But it's been sort of so all this time that we're thinking that this is all religious and all this po- the power of Saint Dumas and that the uh, the house of Saint Dumas upon which uh, Azrael the angel of vengeance he is the he's the head and the protector of the house uh, of the of the of the uh Saint Dumas house that in, in the fact of the matter is is that no this is all based on alien tech it's all based on a lie this is all based on this uh, a glorified angel box which is based on some kind of alien tech and the original protector of this angel box was this was this one demon demon character they're calling the Satan and ultimately modern day Azrael uh, uh what happened is that this Saint Dumas when he died the memory of of what he did was was kept by this angel box and over the last 800 years this angel box created became the program and became the the system that sort of programs the minds of the various protectors who will go by the name at azrael and that's kind of interesting but it's it's not based on faith in god it's not based upon a power of god or religion or faith it's all some kind of alien tech and that's kind of interesting because i don't know if does that incorporate maybe the justice league odyssey run where there there was some alien influence on azrael during that run and but it's interesting and then even bringing in this demon that for 800 years that was trapped in this volcano he's ultimately defeated and destroyed by jean paul valley uh he he ends up i guess i guess discovering that that this um he discovers that the truth about this mother that, that about this angel maker and i have to admit what confused me though so i thought that part was kind of cool that maybe the 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 uh, church of saint dumas or whatever is all based on on a lie, and it's really alien tech. But at the end, we have uh, Father Valley come in. Now, Father Valley made his first appearance in the pages of, of uh, Ram V's Catwoman. And here we have Dan Waters utilizing... You know, Dan Waters is good friends with Ram V. At least they, they seem to collaborate uh, well. Uh, they 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 hang out, I understand, from time to time. And, and he's using... I'm, I'm sure he got Ram V's blessing to use Father Valley. Father Valley, of course, is familiar with the... I believe is is even from the 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 same the same yeah you know, I don't know church of Saint Dumas and f- f- but for some reason Jean Paul Valley calls Carl uh, this father Carl who is Father Valley and I didn't know they knew each other so this is this is news to me I didn't think that they really knew each other and I don't think that was revealed in Catwoman but if it was sorry I just forget. So I'm not really sure Father Father Valley is 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 essentially responsible for for killing a bunch of people I I'm, I didn't really I I don't understand that aspect of the story so I'm a little bit confused by that this is the fourth issue I'm hoping it'll be explained more in the fifth and sixth issue um look cutting to the chase here <laughs> sorry for being long-winded there's a story here and it's interesting I just thought it was uh for me personally I thought it it was choppy for me. I had to read it three times and I do appreciate it better now. I'm glad I did because this is a game changer, I think, for the mythology of Jean Paul Valley. And I think it's, it was far more interesting. I'm glad I took the patience to sort of relax take, and, and read it three times for my own sensibilities. And I appreciated it more. I'm still completely confused by how Father Valley fits into all of this. And the language that Dan Waters uses for the dialogue he's he can because he was 800 years ago he was writing a scene from 800 years ago they're speaking in that language of religious faith and everything else i really wasn't p- putting it together very easily that's on me i'll take responsibility for that but um i so let's just say that i i enjoyed it but i enjoyed it but i i wish it didn't have to take me 3 Reads to get to the point where I can say I, this was a good issue. I'm not sure. People have been enjoying this. Uh, most reviewers who've been reading this have been enjoying the series, and I have been too. And that's why I, I read it not two but three times because I knew that Dan Waters he's a smart writer. I've enjoyed his his writings. You and I have rev- reviewed his stuff, and I, he generally knows. I know that he knows what he's doing, and so I knew that I had to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm glad I did. But this was a little bit of a, of a miss for me in terms of my struggle to understand it, but I'm glad I stuck with it. But I still got some questions as to what the hell Father Valley is doing at the end of this comic. But uh, what do you think?
0: Well, f- yeah, I, I enjoyed this a lot and I'll, I'll get into some of the reasons why. But in terms of, of Father Valley and what he has to do with Azrael, Father Valley is Carl. Uh, if you recall, go back and read the Catwoman Annual 2023, which gets Father Valley's origin. Uh, before he becomes the assassin and it explains how John Paul Valley's father was the mentor to Carl. And when John Paul Valley's mm. father basically sent his son away, sent John Paul away because he didn't feel right. He had too much blood on his hands. He didn't feel like he could raise a son and do right by him. That was sort of the, Carl didn't like that. Right. Cause Carl saw, um, at John Paul's Valley's father uh, as a, as a father figure as a mentor, and so if if John Paul's father wasn't good enough to be a son uh, to be a father to John Paul, then what did that say about Carl, Right, like no, right. I see you as a father, but you you send your real son away because you're not worthy of being a father. Then what does that say about me? Like am I just yeah. you don't care about me enough to send me away? Like so there's there's a lot of different layers there. Um, and that that's written by uh by Ram V, who created the Father Valley character. I imagine Dan Waters must have had some interaction with Ram V about this to bring Father Valley into this. We know Dan Waters has been working on Azrael as a character for quite a long time. Batman Urban Legends. We've had um different stories, and uh and then we had a one-shot, and now we've got this uh this series. So, in terms of, of why I'm loving it, um there were some hints, I think, in the uh in the Batman Urban Legends story that Dan Waters did that he was gonna get rid of some of the religious z- zealousness of the character, kind of get away from the religion as a, a driving motivation. And I really like I I I find Azrael to be fascinating as a character. Yeah. But the the religious aspect, if you take it too far, it's kind of a turnoff for me. Like I, I can see it as sort of a motivation, but when it goes too far, I don't know. Maybe I've just seen too much religious zealotry in my life and seen the, the, the pain that, that it can yeah. cause. I mean, wars have been fought. Um, no, no, I don't think any loss of human life is greater than the amount k- killed uh, in the name of, of religion. So for me – you lean too far into that, and it just—it's that's not what I want in my comics, and that's just me personally. So
1: it, it might have been editorially driven too. Maybe they, yeah, it, it
0: that. yeah, it, it really could have because, because again, I got that feeling when I read Dan Waters' first, um, like his first take on on Asriel, but then as it went along, it swung the other way, and we saw John Paul working at a hospice and. He was all into reading the Bible and praying, and that was the way that he kept Azrael at bay. And it just, like, I, I was like, what happened to that 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 seed, that promise that I felt like we were going to see of, um, of it swinging the other way. And then all of a su- sudden, with this character of Satan, with this angel box, which is it an orphan? It doesn't look like a mother box, but could it be an orphan box? Could it be some other kind of? Um, fourth world technology, we don't exactly know. But basically what Dan Waters has done here is taken all the religious fanaticism of the order of St. Dumas, all this belief in God and all, all that. And he's crumpled it up into a little ball and he's tossed it over his shoulder. And he said, it's all bullshit. I love that. I love it because it leans into the problem that I fundamentally have with religion, which is religion when you think about it is a construct of man, right? And man inherently is flawed and any, any, anything that man believes or creates because it's created by an imperfect individual by definition is also imperfect and could be flawed and could be wrong. So, um, that's just the way that I see it. And so I take anything with a grain of salt, maybe call me a doubting Thomas or, or whatever. Um, belief is pure right if you believe in something that's what you believe you have the right to believe it as long as it doesn't harm anyone else and and that I think is something that's pure and uh, cannot be you know derided basically you could be wrong in your belief because we all can make mistakes and that's fine but I don't begrudge you that because nobody's perfect right but but religion to You know, to draw lines in black and white and say, this is right and this is wrong and it's in the Bible and blah, blah, blah. To me, that just smacks of arrogance because, again, the Bible written by humans, written by imperfect beings. So, again, I just don't prescribe to that. I I just –
1: it's Well, it also reads into the fact that whenever – you know, it makes sense that if it's alien tech, you know, human beings, if we don't possess the scientific knowledge – it's just like what Isaac Asimov said, like to, to a lesser, to a primitive people, you know, future technology would look like a miracle. So it would make sense that how would they, 800 years ago, how would you explain alien tech to those people? They would, it's probably easier to explain it in terms of faith and belief because <laughs> it might be powered by, you, you don't even know the nature of the power of this angel box. So it would make sense that it's probably easier to explain these types of powers through through faith as opposed to through science because they weren't exactly you know, embracing science. Well, in fact, you could say a lot of people in today's world don't embrace science.
0: <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. If yeah. you take a, a sufficiently advanced technology back to, you know, a more primitive time, yeah, it looks like magic or a miracle or some, you know, unknown power. So how else are you going to explain it? Which is part of why I think religion came, came to exist. But, uh, again, getting back to the, the, the concept here. What I love about this is the fact that Dan waters has taken all that, you know, all those religious roots and said, no, 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 that's not actually what it was. It's something much more in my mind, much more interesting, much more rooted into um, the fiction of the DC universe and opens up a lot more stories to be told. What I do wonder, I wonder if the original creators of, of Asriel, Denny O'Neill and all those guys, if they, if they would mind this change, um, because it certainly is a fundamental change, um, but I, th- I, you know, I, I never had a chance to really. Sp- I met Denny O'Neill a couple times, never really had a chance to, to speak to him in depth. But he's such a fan of story, I have a feeling he wouldn't he wouldn't mind at all. But uh, yeah, I thought this was fantastic. The Nicholas Semeja art, although it's not my favorite style aesthetically, it definitely suits the the story that's being told, and the way Azrael defeats Satan. Uh, or the way Satan is defeated, I should say, because Azrael doesn't really defeat him, is uh, is also really interesting and fun. So, yeah. uh, all right, up next we have Batman and the Joker: Deadly Duo, Book One. This is from my uh, Mark Silvestri. Arif Prianto does the colors. I couldn't find any cr- uh, credits inside. I'm going just based off the uh, what's on the cover. So. Silvestri does ink himself because we do have some pages in the back that are just his black and white pencils. Um, so Silvestri's writing it. Silvestri's drawing it. <laughs> this was announced at San Diego Comic-Con so long ago. I don't even remember when it was. Um, but being that Silvestri is drawing it and inking it and writing it, you can understand why it's taking so long. Um, the art is gorgeous. It is so fantastic. If you like Mark Silvestri art, that's worth the price of admission on its own. Uh, it, this is definitely out of continuity in terms of a uh, little bit of the characterization of Joker, a little bit of the characterization of, of Batman. It definitely seems to be a younger Batman who's a little more toward the beginning of his uh, career. We even see Harley show up here, and it's when she still considers the Joker her boyfriend. So definitely, as I said, more of an an, an early type story. So uh, as far as the story itself, I mean, it's the Joker. So I'm not pre. Disposed to like it. That being said, uh, I love Mark Silvestri's art. Always have. Uh, Mark himself is a very uh, fun creator. Great guy to meet. Very humble and appreciative of his fans. So um, I'm definitely picking this up to to support his work. Um, I I, and I I will say this: you know, Mark is most known as an artist, but he's written things before and some of his earlier work that he wrote the scripting wasn't always the best sometimes the dialogue felt a little stilted um but i thought that this dialogue flowed pretty well um but again it's clear from context that this isn't you know not in continuity and i mean alfred is there and uh, uh i i you know this this kind of stands on its own so Um, jury's still out for me on how much I'll enjoy this in terms of it being a Batman and Joker story. I get the idea and the, um, kind of the attractiveness for Batman and Joker fans of having them team up. We have seen them team up in the past. Very rarely. Um, Batman seems to be willing to team up here a a little easier than I think that he might necessarily be willing to. Um, but you know maybe he's just going along with the joker as a way to to uh to capture him and to get answers um but this was enjoyable uh but personally for me mostly just for the awesome mark silvestri art more so than the story itself and and again that's just because not a fan of the joker um but i, I know people have been highly anticipating this so i'm sure it's going to do well what do you think
1: uh first i want to give a shout out i actually really love i love the i've never seen the The Batman's utility belt being all black before. It's right on the cover and throughout the comic. It just looks epic. I think it looks awesome. I love the bat belt. I love the design that Silvestri gives the Batman's utility belt, all black with sort of like, well, sort of like the bat, well, surprise, surprise, bat symbols as as sort of, instead of pouches like bat symbols it just looks more cool and it matches the big black emblem on his chest i think it looks really cool i really love the design here batman looks fantastic joker looks fantastic uh even the the, the multiple uh covers that we're getting gorgeous black and whites of harley quinn the joker uh black and white of uh the uh sylvester's uh Main cover, just really good stuff. Harley Quinn looks, uh, abs. I mean, I just, I think it's because we've gotten so much crazy Harley Quinn lately that I'm actually really enjoying. I really love seeing this, this really bitch bad Harley. And we got a hint of bad Harley in the latest issue of Harley Quinn. Uh, who's come back was uh, res- resurrected out of the Lazarus pit. We got a little hint of that with Stephanie Phillips, uh, issue twenty three of Harley Quinn that we reviewed last week. And seeing this really bitchy looking, raggedy looking Joker's my boyfriend and I love him type of Harley, <laughs> it's I'm I have to admit I kind of miss that a little bit. You know, sometimes I like, I like I like the little psychopathic Harley once in a while. Why not? Um, and uh, you know, and the opening the opening pages show Harley. Being captured by someone, somebody has captured her and is not letting her go, and is using her to sort of lure in the Joker. And meanwhile, there's an ex-cop named Ryan Lang who's been murdered, and uh, through a and he's been murdered, and his head's been ripped off, his limbs have been pulled off. Batman investigates, only to find out that he discovers that Joker's DNA is uh, and as long uh, as well as this cop's DNA is mixed in with the body of a, of a vagrant, and. Not sure what's going on, but there's these creatures that look like radical, monstrous versions of the Joker that are going around, and they're creating havoc in Gotham. And in the midst of all this, Joker comes to Batman, and says, "I need your help because somebody took something really important to me." He doesn't say they took Harley. He says somebody took something that I that is that I own. You know, of course it's Joker. He's he's not going to refer to a human. He's of course he's going to refer to Harley as a as a thing. Uh, he doesn't say it's Harley, but we know it's Harley from the beginning of the issue. So it's a nice callback to the beginning of the issue. as And throughout the issue, fantastic, gorgeous artist Batman does battle against these creatures. And um, as is common in a lot of the, the best Batman stories, I, I love watching along. I know it's kind of tropey. We see it a lot. But damn, I love it anyway. When Batman's fighting an opponent, uh, fighting an opponent. And you you get the inner inner voice of Batman, you know, trying to figure out his opponent's moves, and and you know, and noticing when his own bones break and what have you. I just love that because it, it just it 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 pulls me in. It pulls me into the uh it, into the fighting, and it makes me feel. It gives me the illusion that there's a part of me that's fighting along with Batman, and I just love that. And the, the, the art here is just fantastic. Uh we're in the midst of uh this is this is abs- this does have a 90s feel to it to me or at least early 2000s and in all the good ways in all the good ways. Mark Silvestri's art is fantastic. Uh Catwoman here there's one page uh where Catwoman does show up briefly. She looks absolutely gorgeous. I hope she's going to be in this series more just so I can see Mark Silvestri draw her. I can't wait till he draws Harley again. Actually, I would love to see. I I hope this comes out in a nice hardcover so I can enjoy the whole damn thing and maybe even oversize this sucker. Because, you know, this this might be one of those things where, you know, I don't think the story is going to necessarily break any new ground. But the art is, you know, there's Mark Silvestri is, he's Jim Lee level in many ways. Uh, at least he's he's very Jim Lee-ish, and so I think that in itself is going to get a lot of people's attention. But I really enjoy this for an opening issue, and the art alone has me coming back for more. But I have to admit, so does the very bitchy,
0: psychotic Harley. Yeah, I think 100% it's going to be – I mean it, they're not they're, – they're paying – have been paying Mark Silvestri for years to work on this. So I'm sure they see it as an investment. This is an evergreen title, something that's going to be in print um, for a long time in a collected edition. So I'm I'm sure it's going to get an absolute edition, hardcover. Um, What is it they call it when it's... um, Absolute. uh, Not absolute. Absolute's like oversized, but sometimes they'll do like where it's just the pencils and inks.
1: Oh,
0: Um, yeah. I I can't remember what they call it. Artist edition or something or... Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I would definitely expect that. Uh, all right. Up next, we have The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, issue number two. This is from writer Matthew Rosenberg. Carmen a. Dijon Domenico is the artist. Erif Prianto on colors. Tam- Tom Napolitano on letters. Uh, and there is a backup by Rosenberg with art by Francesco – art and colors, I should say, by Francesco Francovia and letters by Troy Petrie. Um, what did you think of this?
1: All I- right this this uh well this the premise of this entire story well first let me start off i love this there's a variant cover here and i don't even know who draws it but it's joker dancing with harley it looks amazing and there's a cloud in the background there's an explosion in the background and the joker's face is in the image of the clouds it looks absolutely yeah that's lee
0: that's lee vermejo i can i don't even need to look it up i yeah. can tell just by uh
1: yeah the style yeah, it looks amazing. I love it, and uh, yeah, all, all the covers are, are pretty damn good here. Uh, wow, and holy moly! There's man, I, I I don't know who the hell the artist is, but there's one with just showing the Joker's teeth and mouth and bleeding and saliva and sweat, and it's disgusting. Yeah, to that's look at. gotta
0: be uh, Francesco Martina, I oh, think. Oh yeah,
1: that, that looks really good. That's that's probably the one in fifty or something of the one in twenty five, but.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, actually, I guess that one must be the Gabriel Delato. Okay. Um, but it doesn't say, it does not say whether it's, no, no, I'm sorry. It is the Francesco Matina. Yeah. <laughs> no, Cause we've got Carmen A. Domenico. There's five covers. One's by Carmen Domenico, Francesco Matina, Libra Mejo, Gabriel Delato, and then Kelly Jones and Michelle Madsen yeah. on the nineties variant. Um, so yeah, the one with the, with the teeth. Has got to be uh, Mattina because it's definitely his style. Digital painted. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, so the story itself uh, Matthew Rosenberg's the writer, uh, the art by uh, Gino D. G- Gio De Monaco. Uh, this is essentially a story of there is a fake Joker going around because the Joker takes a bunch of people hostage in the first issue, and one of the hostages he get, tells his henchman to go kill, uh, but this henchman that this hostage that is killed and this hostage has a bag over their head is shot in the head, but this hostage doesn't die, and then oddly enough, it was really weird that this hostage that wasn't that was killed wasn't actually dead, and when this hostage recovers is still bleeding from the head, but this hostage thinks that he's the Joker. And so in the meantime, we have the we have the real Joker going around. I think it's the real Joker going around to various cities around America, killing mob figures and what have you, and having his own sort of war on crime. Meanwhile, there's this other Joker who's been shot in the head, who is also causing a scene and thinks he's the Joker, and getting into all types of trouble himself, and... Oddly enough, seems to have, this is what's not working for me for this story because I don't know how this this random guy who becomes the Joker, who thinks he's the Joker being shot in the head, he seems to know where to go to find Harley, Harley Quinn, and he has an interaction with Harley and he has other interactions with other mobsters and he ends up getting, he ends up being, he, he seems to be fairly, uh, a fairly competent fighter, this fake Joker, and I'm not even sure how that's possible, I'm not even sure who this... But we don't really know who this hostage originally was, who, who's become the Joker. Uh, meanwhile, Harley Quinn, he befriends... He, he tries... This fake Joker goes and, and approaches Harley Quinn. And uh, meanwhile, Jason Todd is looking for this fake Joker and ultimately finds him at the end of this story. And then not then, the real Joker finds out about this fake Joker and wants to go after this fake Joker too. Because, of course, of course, he does... And there's a lot of chaos here, and and I get it. At the same time, I'm not really, not really sure. <laughs> I mean, it's called the, the the man who stopped laughing. Well, I guess the guy, the hostage who was shot in the head and comes back and thinks he's the Joker. Yeah, I, I don't imagine he finds it too funny. Harley Harley Quinn beats him with a bat because she hates him. But he, I guess, he's got the memory. He doesn't realize that that the real Joker has a terrible relationship with harley and he ends up he just ends up getting the crap kicked out of him and i'm not really sure frankly where all this is going i i feel that this is a little bit a scattershot in its in its focus jason todd naturally wants to try to find the joker to all you know jason todd obviously hates the joker that's a little bit cliche there i'm not really sure where this is going so you're gonna find so they find the fake joker then what well, then I guess they got to stop the real Joker. So, I guess the... I, I I don't find this fake Joker really captivating enough yet. Uh, I feel like I'm missing sort of the hook. Uh, and if that's the hook, then I'm not really... I, I haven't been pulled into this story yet. Um, because I don't... I'm not buying it yet. I need I need an explanation. Uh, I don't... It, it, I'm not buying into this. You know, a, guy, a random hostage doesn't get shot in the head. And then suddenly knows... All this stuff about the Joker, I I just I'm not I I feel like I'm missing something. And maybe there's gonna be some big reveal in in a subsequent issue, but right now I'm not getting it. I'm also not getting there was at random times throughout this issue, they they, they showed time. Like there's in some of the panels they showed twelve nineteen AM and twelve thirty eight AM and why? Like I I, I don't know why are they showing those random times, one twenty eight AM why is there is there a bomb that's going to go off like I, I i just don't get it like i i i really feel lost in this issue and maybe i should have read this one three times too and, and you can explain it or you can explain it to me but i i, I missed an i missed the story on this one i didn't quite get it and so this this was a miss for me i um so uh i like i said great art i love the art but i'm not i don't I don't feel like I, a, I got a handle on where this is going, and this feels like a this feels like a miss for me. But what do you think of it?
0: Yeah, I actually enjoyed it, especially if, considering it's a Joker book. Um, I, I, first of all, I would say don't. <laughs> I don't know that you're correct in saying real Joker, not real Joker, or real Joker hostage Joker, what have you. I, there, there's nothing that's been shown so far in the two issues to show us that the guy who's acting like he's the real joker is in fact the real joker uh i do wonder if this does not in some way tie into the three jokers that we got from jeff johns uh or, or last i guess it's already been a year since we since we had that and you know that was one of the most disappointing stories especially for as long as it was uh announced and how long it took to come out great art by jason Fabok, but the story we still, I still am confused on, so were, were there three jokers? How, why were there three jokers? Why were they di- like, it never was fully explained. So is, is this more of that? Um, I don't know. In terms of the, the stamp, the timestamps, I, I kind of enjoy it because the story is not being told in a linear fashion. Um, it does jump around. It's interesting that Matthew Rosenberg is making that choice to, you know, show us something that happens and then show us something that happens 20 minutes later. And then we jump, you know, 40 minutes later, um, I don't recall that in the first issue, so he's got to be – I got to think based on the level of talent that uh, Matthew Rosenberg has that he's doing that for a reason. So I don't have any idea where this is going either, um, but I'm okay with that because at least it feels like it's something new and not derivative, um, and that's saying something when you're talking about Joker because, God, it feels like every – every person has told their Joker story at this point, And um, it feels like oftentimes they're repeating themselves. So curious to find out, does this tie into Batman three Jokers? Um, and, and yeah, see where this is going. I, I, I haven't heard many people talking about this. Um, so I, I am kind of curious in terms of titles named Joker uh, or headlined by the Joker. You know, we certainly had that James Tynan series, the Joker that was really a James Gordon story that was um, amazing. So if you picked that up and ended up not liking it because you didn't feel like it had enough Joker, then maybe this is the book for you
1: Exactly, because there's yeah. so much
0: Joker that you got two of them here. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last book we're going to talk about in detail, The New Champion of Shazam, chapter number three, written by Josie Campbell, art and cover by Evan Doc Shaner, lettering by Becca Carey. Um, the strength of this book for me is the art uh Evan Shaner is the perfect person to be giving us a Mary Shazam book. I do like the I do like the layers of character that Josie Campbell is bringing to Mary because Mary was always kind of the know-it-all uh and not in an obnoxious way, but always kind of the the straight-laced kid, uh you know, the big sister that always did the right thing, never got in trouble, got good grades. Um and we're seeing that there's more to her than this, you know, she's than than that. She's not just this perfect silver age, you know, hero and alter ego who never makes mistakes. And um she yells at one of her, her sisters or her sister Darla in this, uh one of her siblings uh Darla in this issue about how she didn't want to leave Vassar, she didn't want to come home. It's a horrible thing to say, but it, it reminds us that. Mary is just a teenager she 's just a teenager she 's just a kid she 's going to make mistakes, whether that 's with being um, Mary Marvel or uh, you know being Mary in her civilian identity um, but she's still you know as soon as she yells at her sister she immediately feels bad she 's still a good person she still has a good heart she still wants to do to do the right thing so I think Josie Campbell has an incredible grasp of who Mary is as a character, and I love the character development that we're getting in the series. Um, And I also like the pacing that we've had. Um, It feels a little silver age in that it's been a very straightforward narrative. And as soon as Mary's um, one of Mary's professors uh, at the community college that she transferred to shows up here, you know, right away that she's behind all the disappearances. Like it's so obvious. Um, And I, I don't think it's, we're, meant to be fooled by Josie Campbell and Evan Chaynor. I think, um, they want us to know, they want it to be obvious to, to us, even uh, as a reader, even if it's not obvious to Mary. Um, so there's not any, you know, big surprises or big twists. Uh, that's not where the strength of this book is. The strength of this book is in the characterization and in the gorgeous art by, uh, by Evan Chaner So, um, I'm a big fan. I've never really read that much Mary Marvel stuff or, um, Really been that interested in Mary Marvel before, but uh, but Josie Campbell's making me a fan. So, uh, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Well, first, speculator alert. I think it's the first appearance by a character by the name of Babel, who is the yeah. uh, villain here, and he's a cool looking villain. Uh, kudos to jo- Josie Campbell. I think she did a good job here. I think he's very uh, potentially interesting character. This Doctor G character is a new villain as well. And she's been as Doctor G. Is it's revealed she's behind uh, a number of uh, sort of a lot of number of people go, who have gone missing, including uh, Ma- uh, Mary Bromfield, otherwise known as Mary Marvel uh, uh, or the New Shazam. Her her entire orphan family essentially went missing. Her parents have step or her foster parents have gone missing, and it's because of this Doctor G. And uh, they're being utilized for uh, I guess for. I guess, experiments, obviously, by the Dr. G. And it should also be noted that uh, this series began with Mary with Mary Bromfield going off to college in Vass- Vassar College, and she had to come back to Philadelphia with her family when her family disappeared. And so she lost out on, on going to call her first year of college, which is really unfortunate. And she also lost... Uh, she also had a talking rabbit that talked to her. There were some fun Silver Age moments. And, uh, you talked about this comic book having a Silver Age feel, and it very much does. And that's why it's absolutely perfectly suited to have Do- uh, Evan Doc Shaner as the artist, because he's just, I can't think of anyone better to capture that Silver Age sensibility uh, with that sort of innocence, but also with more of an adult, modern-day uh, artistic style that, that really works so well for it. I mean, uh, Mary Bromfield is is the type of girl-next-door sexiness. (laughs) She's the, you know, Catwoman has her own degree of sexiness, as does Harley Quinn. But Mary Brumfield is one of those ones where she's... She's not utilized enough. And whenever and whenever they have made her sexy, boy, oh, boy, you get covers with her wearing, like, a Black Adam outfit, like, in the cover of JSA. I got a couple of Mary Marvel covers. There's one for Justice League International where she's holding uh, Guy Gardner up and she's looking all sexy and, like, evil and naughty. And <laughs> Anyways, I don't want to digress too much. But in any event, uh, this is nice to see uh, – the new Shazam, Miss Mary Marvel, get gets some love here because probably with the new dawn of the DCU, we might be going back to Captain Marvel here. It's nice for Mary Marvel to have her day in the sun. Her fellow orphans or her fellow brothers and sisters, Freddie, Pedro, Eugene, Darla, who are other members of the, um, uh, of the uh, Marvel family. And of course, Billy Batson's not on the playing field right now. But uh, they play a role here too. Uh, they're a little bit jealous because for whatever reason, Mary's the only one that has the powers of Shazam right now. And how this is going to end? We only got one issue left. I would have liked to have seen this be a six-issue series, but it's going to wrap up next issue. Uh, we we get an appearance of this. Uh, we get an appearance of uh, an older guy. What I forget his. It reminds me of the old classic. Uh, what the hell is his name? Uh, the old man here in this issue. His um, oh man. Um, I'll get his name here. Uh, Dudley, yeah, everyone calls him Uncle Marv. He's it just reminds me of the old classic Captain Marvel stories, so it's it's sort of nice to see him make an appearance because you know there was always the older, older gentleman, the fat, chubby gentleman that was part of the Captain Marvel crew as, as well. So it's nice to see him here. So there's some really nice callbacks here and just some, some good action, some really heartfelt moments between her and uh Darla. And like you said, she is a young, she's she. I'm not sure if she's maybe 18, 19, maybe she's 21. She's going off to college. So I'm not sure how old Mary Marvel, Mary Bromfield is supposed to be. But I think she's probably just on the cusp of adulthood if she's going to uh, college. But in any event, this is really nice. I enjoy this. I really, I'm curious to see how it ends, this new Babel character. Uh, I wish maybe there was a little bit more of a challenge to her. The art's fantastic. I would like to see a little bit more action in this series. Uh, but you never know; maybe it's going to end with some more action as well. But overall, this has been a, this has been fun. This is what this is the type of DC comics that when when you take a character that we don't get to see very often, like Mary Marvel, these nice four issue miniseries keep them four issues. I don't have an objection to that, and and a, and a quality story with great art. You know, this is the way to go.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I, I it, it's good to see somebody else headlining a Shazam book besides Billy. Um, because the the family is so, so big. Um, so with Billy taken off the table, it's, it's kind of interesting to see Mary, uh, take, on take it on. Um, although y- you could argue that the Shaz- latest Shazam book, the most recent one by Jeff Johns was more of a Shazam family book, um, than just focused on Billy, but man, the delays really hurt, hurt that, <laughs> really hurt that
1: book. So. Yes, they did.
0: Anyway, that's, uh, that's going to do it for the individual issues. Uh, I will mention that in addition to the ones that we talked about, Batman Nightwatch, number three, which is kind of an all-ages, more focused on almost an animated series type um, story is out this week as well. We do have some collections. Batman Shadow War has a hardcover. Batgirls, the, uh, the Kloonrad series, has its first volume uh, trade out. Task Force Z has uh, Volume One hardcover. That's the first six issues of the recent Matthew Rosenberg series, and then Trial of the Amazons has a hardcover. Um, don't don't know that we could recommend that. Um, it <laughs> no. just wasn't. It just I don't know. Maybe we our expectations were too high, but that was a uh, that was a problematic series for both Rocky and I. Uh, get what they were trying to do, but. Ultimately, just don't think that it, uh, it succeeded. But if, if you're curious, if you want to get it all in one volume, um, it does have the Artemis Wanted one-shot, has the Olymp- Olympus Rebirth one-shot, and the Nubia Coronation Special, plus uh, the Wonder Woman 781 through 784, the Wonder Woman uh, 80th Anniversary 100-page spectacular as well. So um, it gives you a, a lot of the, uh, the Trial of the Amazon's aftermath, if you will. So it's there if you are so inclined. Uh, all right. Anything so, else you want to plug? Oh, I guess yeah, we need well, to our talk pick about of the week. Pick of the week, yeah. Uh, Why? Well, you go first because I know there's no chance that we have the same pick of the week this time. Um,
1: well, uh, my pick of the week, my pick of the week would have to be Dark Knights of Steel.
0: Wow, that's not where I thought you were going to go.
1: Uh, yeah no cool. i i just i, I because I, I just love that ending i'm i'm looking at him now staring at the screen and i just uh i mean there's some there's some good ones here i really like batman um i really like batman but uh, I, I would have yeah I, dark Knights of steel
0: i thought about batman briefly uh and then i thought after i read it i was gonna go with Gotham City year one issue number two i thought for sure that was gonna be my pick mm-hmm but then I read sort of Asriel and oh, just based on the fact that Dan waters took all that religious mumbo jumbo that's so wrapped up in the origin of Azrael and said, no, 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 I'm going to give you a more interesting origin for him. That doesn't just lean into all these religious tropes. Uh, I just loved that. I thought it was fantastic. I loved the scene with his fight. I mean, he gets his ass kicked by Satan. Um, the angel Satan, which was kind of the first Azrael that was built, uh, but then through through no, none of his own achievement or ability, he ultimately, even though he gets his butt kicked, ends up winning the fight in a way, ends up victorious, ends up the survivor of that fight, which I thought was just fantastic. So yeah, actually, so that's my yeah,
1: that's, that's my that's, pick of the week. That, that that's a good pick of the week. I'll go with Dark Knights of Steel. As a quick note, I didn't realize that the, that that angel box had had created that. That that Satan character, I didn't I didn't pick that up from the the read. I I just learned something and I read it three times. That's not gonna can't be my pick of the week. It was just written in a way that I just I thought it was very choppy for me. But
0: um, yeah, fair enough. I mean, a lot of that was in last week's. Um, it talked about how yeah, yeah it was Satan was the basically the first uh, avenging angel that they built and they built it so big and then it, it that's why it was stuck in that cave because it couldn't go. F- very far away from the machinery that, that built it, that imbued it with all its powers okay. um, because it had to constantly recharge and feed off other organs basically from people that came searching for the myth of Azrael. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's my pick. I uh, thought it was really enjoyable. Uh, so what, what else do you have for the people that you want to let them know? Have you had a chance to do uh, your independent
1: yeah, yeah, we do. Jim and I, Word Science, we just uh, we we reviewed uh, True Cult number three and uh, Creepshow number two. That that's up on on the on uh, the channel here. And there's a where I've discovered as we and you and I discovered this when we review Scott Snyder that as the issues accumulate, uh, we don't we 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 there's always a, a lot of new number ones coming out, but then. God forbid if you'll really love a number one you want to review issue two and three and as they keep coming out and so it's uh there's always something more that I can review so uh I'm hoping that uh I'm gonna be pumping out just myself uh, pumping out some extra independent titles that we don't have time to review I might like review them and uh so yeah, we'll see. But beyond that, uh, uh, beyond that, it's a busy week for me at work. But uh, what about you? You got any interviews coming up or anything like that?
0: Yeah, there is a couple of creator owned uh, campaigns that are going to kick off uh, on Zoop. So should have those coming up in the next week or so. Uh, I will remind everybody about my uh, awesome conversation I have with uh, JMD Mateus uh, for his creator owned uh, four different stories that are all having their first issues come out through Kickstarter. Encourage everybody to go check check that out and i also want to get back to we owe you guys uh some some best jacket reviews uh, and, and we've been remiss in getting those out so i want to get caught up on those as well so uh yeah there's just never enough time and as you intimated rocky there's there's always new comics coming out that we read that uh you know i want to talk about but it's just a matter of having time so uh that being said we're gonna wrap it up don't forget everybody if you're listening to the audio only version of this be sure you head over to youtube and subscribe to rocky's channel Comic space boom exclamation point! Ring the notification bell. Leave some comments uh, about what your favorite book uh, was this week, or if you have any questions, just leave them down in the comments below. Be sure you uh, subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the content. Conversely, if you check us out on YouTube all the time and you want to listen to our New Comics Wednesday episode, which is spoiler free, or any of the other interviews or content that comes out from the Comic Source, just go to wherever you get your podcasts and. S- uh, search for the comic source and subscribe. So that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate your support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple.